best to present this to you as accurately as possible because it has been meaningful and continues to be meaningful for me, and I feel like that it can for you also. Now, we have talked about in this series, we have talked a lot about shame. And we have said that shame over here, this broken part of us, leads us to put on all of this armor and to pick up all of these weapons. That's what shame leads us to do. And when we are in shame, we will actually say things to ourselves about ourselves that we would never, ever, ever, ever say to someone that we care about. When we are in the midst of a shame storm inside of our lives, we will say things to ourselves like this. You idiot. You idiot. How many times have we called ourselves that and much worse? And when we're in a shame storm, we will also say some things to other people that we might not normally say. Shame causes us to zoom in as if we're picking up a pair of very powerful binoculars, and it will cause us to zoom in into our life, zoom in on that area that is causing us shame. We will just zoom in and blow that up very, very large. And we make it very big, larger than life. And in that area, we feel very flawed. We feel very alone, and we are struggling. But if we could simply take the opportunity and take the time required to zoom back out and to see a bigger, a more broad picture around us, then we would see, hey, I'm not alone. There are other people around me who are also struggling, and many who are struggling with very similar struggles. If we could just take the time to zoom out. And one of the ways that we can zoom out and make that picture more broad, make that picture um, more uh, encompassing, one of the ways to do that is to reach out to someone else. Last week we talked a whole lot about that. We talked about one end we have shame, the other end of this spectrum we have connecting. And the only way to get from here to here is to dial in, as if there's two stations on this radio, to dial in and turn up the empathy. And we move this direction towards connecting. That's the only way to defeat this shame. And we talked about how we can force shame out of hiding by speaking out loud about it. By learning how to name the shame, speaking it. And as we begin to do that, that shame begins to wither away. And as I mentioned, we talked a little bit about that last week as part of empathy. Now, we have also talked about this concept that we're calling the arena. And it's inside of the arena when we crawl down, step down into the relationship arena, that is where all of the work 
is done in our relationships, the work that's done to make that relationship better, to take a broken, shame-filled relationship and to move this way to where we have empathetic, a connecting relationship, a growing relationship. It happens inside the arena. And we have to create a safe environment inside of that arena for that growth to take place. We have to create that environment. And that's when we talked about the use of the marble jar, of how we all have a jar, we all carry one. You carry one for me, I carry one for you. Um, Every relationship has one. And how when we develop trust with the other person, they take a marble from somewhere else and they put it inside your jar as you develop that trust. And the more full your jar is that you're holding for them, the more marbles they have put in, the more trust that is, that is happening in that relationship, which creates an arena when there's trust being developed, an arena for that growth to take place in the relationship. But we also said this. The marbles go in the trust jar one at a time. But when we do things to take trust away, they come out of the jar in handfuls. Ooh, I just lost one on the floor. (laughs) That one's never coming back. In fact, I'll probably walk on it and I'll go, whoop, wherever it went. But they go in one at a time. They come out. As we lose trust, they come out in handfuls. And that's not to discourage you. It's just simply to say, listen, we have constant ongoing work to do for the rest of our lives to continue to put marbles into the trust jar. We talked about that a little bit during, I don't know, week two or three, somewhere in there. So this week, we're going to climb back down into that arena together. And this arena for relationship applies to um, children. It applies to you and a parent. It applies to you and family, you and friends, you and coworkers, you and a spouse, you and, and a fiance. It applies to every relationship in your life. And this morning as we end this series, we're going to climb back down into that arena and we're going to use this morning to give you a final handful of pieces of arena advice this morning. And that's what we're going to do starting right now. Our first piece of arena advice is this. Honesty is always the best policy. Honesty is always the best policy inside of that arena. Now, you have to watch out, though, because if someone says, hey, I'm just being honest, (laughs) you've heard that before, haven't you? Hey, I'm just being honest. If someone says that, you've got to be careful because honesty disguised as fear and disguised as shame and disguised as hurt is not really honesty. It's not. Just because something is factual does not mean it can be used in a destructive manner. Oh, sorry, I'm I'm just telling you the truth. Oh, sorry, I'm just telling you what really happened. 
You see, honesty disguised as fear and shame and hurt is not honesty at all. It is really fear and shame and hurt. It is not honesty. So here's a tool inside of the arena, inside of the relationship arena, here is a tool for you to use. You need to ask yourself before before you dig into the nitty-gritty of honesty, ask yourself, how would I want them to talk to me? I'm just being honest with you. That's probably not how you want them to talk to you. You don't want to use shame and fear and pain and hurt and disguise it as honesty. You want, as we've talked about in this series, what Paul said, here is a better way to live. You want loving, caring, kind, and patient honesty. And we get this tool for us to use inside of the arena the arena that says, hey, how would I want them to talk to me? We get this tool from Luke chapter 6, verse 31, which simply says this, do to others as you would like them to do to you. Honesty is always the best policy. But don't use fear, shame, and pain and hurt and disguise it as honesty. We've talked a lot over this series about learning for us to learn to be able to use words to describe our emotions and to describe the feelings that we have. And this is so important for us because most of us, myself definitely included, we are so bad at this, using words to describe our feelings. So here's the second piece of arena advice this morning. We need to learn a new language. We really desperately, in all of our relationships, need to learn a new language. Now, just imagine with me for a moment. Imagine that you had something very serious going on with you physically, and you had some real pain, some real physical problem that you're trying to communicate, and you go to the doctor, but just imagine as you walk into his office, you have duct tape over your mouth, and you can't get that off, and you have your hands handcuffed behind your back, and you are doing your best to describe to the doctor what is going on? But all you can do is just kind of grunt and and kind of make some noises. And you just kind of kind of move your head around trying to point to the area that's hurting. And he has no idea what you're trying to communicate. No idea at all. Because you can't name it. 
You can't articulate it. You can't describe it. And eventually, both of you get exhausted and you just give up. Or you pretend that you understand and you really don't. And this is exactly what happens when we are not fluent in being able to describe our feelings and our emotions. If we can't identify it, if we can't name that feeling and name that emotion, if we can't talk about our experiences, it becomes impossible to grow that relationship. We have to learn how to describe our emotions and our feelings using not passive-aggressive behavior, using words. And it is fundamental for that relationship to not just thrive, but for it to even survive. We have to learn to use words to survive in a relationship, to allow a relationship to heal, to allow a relationship to grow. And if we can't recognize those feelings and those emotions in our own lives, then it will be next to impossible to articulate those emotions that someone else is feeling, to recognize them accurately in somebody else's life. We need to learn the language of emotions. And I know, guys, that scares us to death because we hate them. But we must learn the language of emotions. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 1 says this. If I could speak all the languages of the earth, and of angels even, but I didn't love others, I would only be a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. So here's the tool. Here's the tool we need. We need to learn the language of love. And here's a tool you can do, you can use to help you learn the language of love. As you are in the relationship arena and you are having a discussion, you are having a talk, you're trying to understand what that person is saying. And here's the tool. <coughs> Excuse me, the tool is this. After you have heard them, the tool is this. For you to say, what I hear you saying is this. And then repeat your understanding of what they are saying. Okay, great. What I hear you saying is this. And you, you explain in your words what you have heard them say. And now that allows that person to say, yes. I, I mean, that's, that's exact. Oh, I just broke somebody again. That allows you to say, yes, that's exactly what I'm feeling. That's exactly what I'm saying. Or it allows them to say, no, 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 that's, that's not what I'm trying to say. And this is you, the both of you, together learning 
the language of love, learning to put names and words and descriptions to your emotions and your feelings. It allows him to say, yes, that's exactly what I'm feeling. Or it allows him to say, no, 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 I'm not sad. I'm angry. No, 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 you missed it. I am not sad. I am angry. It allows you together in the safety of this environment to learn a new language for you to simply say, okay, what I hear you saying is this. And then tell them. You see, we're trying to navigate something here. It's a giant iceberg. You see that white part of the iceberg in this picture? Then there's kind of a blue-green part down below. That white part is the only part that's sticking out of the water. And that white part of the iceberg is a very tiny part. Most of the iceberg, the vast majority of the iceberg is down under the water, beneath the surface. And as we're learning to navigate these feelings, emotions, describe and talk about these feelings, emotions, for you to understand your own, for you to understand theirs, it's like we're trying to navigate an iceberg. The part of you that you can see, that part of the iceberg that's above the water, so often it just simply looks like anger. That's the part we can see. It's anger. It's very quick, and we can recognize it, and we can see that. We can call it very quickly. It's anger. But what you have to learn to do, we have to learn to do, is... We have to look below the surface, beyond that first quick, easy emotion to recognize that is so often anger. We have to look below the surface where there is so much more of the iceberg, so much more of the emotions, and so much more of the feelings. And there is where we need to try to learn how to define what is happening What is going on below what I'm actually seeing, which is so often, right off the bat, hurt and anger. We see mad above the waterline. But that deep hurt is below the surface. That larger part of the iceberg, it's down below. Anger is above. But the larger part of the pain... Is down below. And if we're only chipping away at that part that we can see that is so obvious, we're missing most of the iceberg, most of the deeper emotions, the bigger emotions. And they will never get addressed if all we do is just chip away at that little part that we can see. So we need to ask ourselves, As we're listening, not as we're defending, nope, won't work. Not as we're fighting, nope, won't work. As we're listening, we need to ask ourselves, okay, what lies beneath? Okay, I can, can, you don't need to say it out loud. You need to ask yourself, okay, I see the anger. What lies beneath? What lies beneath? And we need to stay and remain very clear on the problem we're trying to address down in the relationship arena. We we can't address a thousand things. 
how often do your fights start with one thing and then you end up fighting about 10 or 15 other things as you go along? We can only address one thing in the arena. We may identify some other things we need to address, but that's for another time. That's for another time in the arena. That's not for right now. We need to stay very clear. But we do want to ask ourselves, okay, what lies beneath? What is down there? We need to stay very clear. We need to stay, in order for us to find out what lies beneath, we need to stay curious. It's a whole lot easier just to address that little tiny thing that we see and then move on so we can get out of the arena as fast as we can. But we need to stay curious about what lies beneath for them. So here's some arena advice. We need to know that in this struggle, in this arena, we will sometimes fail. Now, my hope is that you're not going to fail in the relationship, but there are going to be times that inside of that relationship that we do fail. Every time you crawl down into the arena with someone, it's not going to be a glorious success. Because it took us a long time to develop some of these issues and problems and hurts. It took us a long time. And it's going to take us a long time to work through them. And each time we step into the arena is not going to be a wonderful success. Some of those times we are going to fail in that conversation, in that discussion. We're going to come away more discouraged than we are encouraged. Sometimes we're going to fail. There is no guarantee of any moment that you step into the arena that you're going to succeed. So do not let me mislead you. So if we know there are moments inside of these discussions in the arena, there are moments that we are going to fail, then we need to prepare us and people in our lives to know how to respond when we do fail in that moment at that one time, that one instance inside the arena. We need to teach people how to fail. We need to teach people how to fall. When I learned how to snow ski, the very first time I ever went snow skiing, the group that I went with, they made, they forced, you had no choice. All first-timers had to take lessons. Now, the ski resort, they don't care. They'll let you go, and they'll let you. You don't have to waste your whole, your, your whole first day learning how to ski. You don't have to. You can just go ski. But do you know what they taught you that first day? The first thing they taught you was how to fall. More importantly, how to get back up. And we need to let you know that in that arena, there are going to be moments, there are going to be days, there are going to be times when you fall and it just, that conversation just did not go where you hoped it would go. It did not turn out the way you hoped. It did not go for the better. It kind of took you back a few steps. You failed. We failed in that attempt, in that arena. It was, we fell. We just fell. And we want to teach you, and this is a lifelong lesson, of how to get back up, how to stand back up 
so that falling in the arena, failing in the arena does not have to mean that we fail at this whole relationship. And I'm saying, I don't care what's going on. It doesn't mean you have to fail. We can go into that knowing we are going to fall. And it may feel like we're falling more than we're succeeding. But the important thing is not how many times we fall, but the fact that we stand back up, even if it requires help, we stand back up. There are no guaranteed successes. So let's teach people how to fall, how to land, how to stand back up inside the arena. When I became a youth minister, there was this parenting concept called the helicopter parent. And just to summarize it, the helicopter parents, which were most of the parents as I began youth ministry, um, most of the parents, they would hover around that child and they would look for and wait for that child to fall or fail in any way, either on the playground or at school or in junior high or high school. They would be hovering, watching for that child to fail or to fall in any way or to be hurt or injured or the potential of hurt or injury. And that parent would come down, drop into the life very quickly, and they would pick that child back up and stand them up and set them down. The child never learned how to stand on their own. The parent always swooped in and they would prop them back up. Because they didn't want them to fall. They didn't want them to fail. They would allow them to fall, but the parent would go in and rescue them. So that helicopter was a rescue and recovery. Helicopter parenting. We don't have as much helicopter parenting today. Today, in many cases, we have something called a lawnmower parent. The lawnmower parent is not trying to prepare the child to go through the path of life. They're not trying to prepare the child for the path. The lawnmower parent is trying to prepare the path for the child. So they go through and they try to remove all the obstacles, all the problems, all the situations, all the instances. They go through and mow them down so the child can just breeze through life. And it's devastating. They're driven by love and care and concern, but the result for that child is devastating. Because they never learn how to stand back up. They never learn how to fail. We don't all get participation awards in life, do we? The lawnmower parent makes sure that child gets their participation award. They just get awarded, rewarded for just showing up and breathing. And you know what that has led to? An entire generation of people, a whole generation of people who don't understand falling and failing 
do you know, I, I really believe this. I'm not a, I do not talk politics. Here's an observation. I don't care who you voted for. Was it not the craziest thing you have ever seen after that election that Donald Trump won? I don't care who you voted for. An entire generation of people who did not know how to accept failing. And they flooded the streets crying over who was elected president. They had never failed. They had never fallen. They did not know how to process that emotion. An entire college students and young adults. It was crazy. The craziest thing I've ever seen. And do you know what's happening now? Now this is political. But it should cross every line. So it should be okay. The world has proven that socialism does not work. And we have a new generation of people who are trying to move our democracy. Democrats and Republicans trying to move us into a world of a failed system of socialism. And do you know why I think that is? Because they are afraid of failing and they want someone else to take care of them. Now, in our relationships, we have to know how to fail. It doesn't mean we throw the relationship away. We can fail in that moment in the arena. We can fall, but we have to learn how to stand back up in that relationship. We have to learn how to do it. And it's a skill that most of us have never been taught. And so most of us are afraid to risk going into the relationship because we think into the relationship arena because we think to ourselves I don't know how to handle it. If this doesn't go the way I want it to go, I don't know how to handle it. I don't know what to do. I don't know how to respond. I don't know how to fall. I don't know how to fail. I'm not sure. So I don't want to go into the arena and grow the relationship and heal the relationship. I don't want to do it because I don't know what's going to happen. I don't know how to get back up. So I want to give you two tools as we kind of wrap this thing up today, two tools that you can use inside the arena that over the course of time, you cannot zoom in to one moment, come out, zoom out, over the course of time, using these two tools can help you. They can be two among many tools to help you learn how to stand back up when you feel like you're failing, when you feel like you're falling. When we have the courage 
to walk into this relationship, into the arena, and to own our story, to own our failures, to own our failings. When we have the courage to walk into the arena and own our story, then we get to rewrite the ending of this story. But if we refuse to own our story, the story will always own us. We have to own it. Even if we have failed, we have to own it. We have to own our setbacks. We have to own our stories, our hurts, or all of that is going to own us. People who learn how to get back up in this arena when we have fallen, they learn this. They learn how to quickly, they learn how to quickly recognize when they have been emotionally hooked by something. They learn how to recognize that. Now here's a tool. We have to learn to pause so that we can recognize. We have to learn to pause. If something is escalating, we have to pause. Instead of throwing gasoline on it, we have to pause. Take a step back. We have to pause so that we can recognize. We have to be able to understand, I am being in this moment emotionally hooked by something. And instead of fighting it in that moment, we have to pause and recognize it and get curious about it. We don't have to pinpoint the exact emotion. I, I, <coughs> excuse me. <coughs> I've told you for several weeks, I've got a list now of about 800 emotions, words for emotions, because I'm, I'm emotionally handicapped. It's just, it is not a lie. It's the truth. But in this moment, you're not recognizing this specific emotion you're feeling. You just have to recognize, wait a minute, I'm emotionally hooked here. I'm getting charged. I'm getting riled. I'm getting hurt. Something, I have to recognize that something's going on. You don't have to pinpoint the exact thing accurately. You just have to recognize something's going on. I'm feeling something. I'm not sure what it is, but I know I'm feeling something. And it may be as simple as this, acknowledging, oh, I... My, my stomach is in knots right now. It's just recognizing something's going on. And in that moment, we have to slow down. We have to take a deep breath. And I'm not saying, I'm not saying that you do that, you know, figuratively. No, really, we need to slow down. And we literally need to take 
a deep breath and get curious about what I'm feeling. I know I've been hooked. I know something's going on. But often, instead of getting curious, instead of slowing down and getting curious, usually we run to the armor. And you know something, and we, that's our natural response. Usually, instead of slowing down, getting curious, trying to explore, okay, what am I feeling? Why am I? We run to the armor, we put on the armor, we grab the weapons. But we're saying, no, 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 no. In that moment, pause. Don't put on the weapons. Don't grab the armor. Listen to your body. Recognize, yes, something has me emotionally hooked in this moment. You know, we call these things, these emotions, we call them feelings. Because we literally feel something in our body. We have a physiological, a physical reaction to something. That's why we call them feelings. We feel something is going on. Something's not right. And so we're saying we have to get curious about that. And here's here's the truth. Either you will get curious about what you're feeling... Or you will get crazy because of what you're feeling. And we're saying let's pause and get curious. For example, we had to do a whole lot of, this weekend, a whole lot of stuff with my mom passed away and just dealing with estates and and figuring out things. She has a house full of stuff and there's people involved and it just... It's just, it's not the most fun or greatest thing to go through and to figure out. And Vanessa spent a good part of the day this weekend, one day, clenching her jaws because she was feeling something. You know what happens to me when I begin to feel something? My heart races and adrenaline floods my body. I'm on the end of the scale that if I don't get curious, I get crazy. Some of you, very few, have had the privilege of seeing that. We have a physical reaction. Clenched jaws, balled up fists, racing heart, flooded with adrenaline. And we have to pause and we have to recognize something has me hooked in this moment. And when I recognize, here's a good rule for life. I have failed this so often. When we recognize that something has us hooked emotionally, do not text anyone. Do not pick up the phone and call them. Do not send them an email if you have been hooked emotionally. Don't text. Don't talk. Don't email. Pause. And that's part of going below that surface for yourself to figure out what's there.
in that moment that we are emotionally hooked, we are not fit for human consumption. Pause. And very few people, very few people actually learn how to stop and recognize this. Because instead of getting curious about what we're feeling, we tend to take all of that emotion and just throw it at somebody. That's what we usually do. So here are some, very quickly, some strategies that we use as we throw that emotion. I'm just going to roll through a list of things very quickly. We have a tendency to do this. It's the thing called breaking the camel's back. And that's, you know, you've heard it, the straw that breaks the camel's back, the straw that broke the camel's back. And it is a reaction, and it is disastrous. It is an explosion it is taking that, en- that energy, taking that, all that emotion and just throwing it. But here's the crazy thing. It may have been the tiniest, littlest, smallest thing. And yet we react because that was the straw that broke the camel's back. And we just unload and throw all of that emotion. It's the straw. That's one of our reactions. Here's another one. Sometimes we trampoline it. We just bounce that hurt away. We bounce it away. And our ego uses anger. And we say, I'm not going to deal with that. Boom. Our ego uses anger. Our ego uses blame. Uh Uh-uh, not me. It was you. Boom. Our ego uses all. And it just bounces all that hurt. And it ends up saying this. Who cares? I don't care. Hey, I'm fine. I I couldn't care less. Boom. And we shame other people. Boom. We say, whatever. Boom, the trampoline. Here's another thing. We numb it. We talked about that on another week. All the things we use to numb that pain, that emotion, that hurt. We also do this. We stuff it. We just stuff it and stockpile it and carry it and hold it. And eventually, we stuff it so much that our body responds and it says, "Uh -uh uh-uh, no more. I'm shutting you down. Our body shuts us down. And we feel that with anxiety. We feel that with, with depression. A lot of times it happens kind of in the middle of our lives, in our 30s and 40s, that stockpiling. And our body says, I have had enough of that stockpiling. I am shutting you down. And your body begins to respond to you and shut you down. Anxiety, depression, insomnia. Here's another reaction we have to throw that emotion away from us into someone else. We just say, hey, I'm not going to touch it. So we don't touch it. And here's why we don't touch it. We say, I better not touch it. I'm going to leave it alone. I'm just going to ignore it. I'm not going to touch it. I'm not going to have anything to do with it. Because if I begin to deal with it, I might get stuck. I don't know how to deal. I might get stuck. So I'm not going to do anything with it. I'm not going to handle it. Because if I begin to handle it, what if something happens and I don't know how to handle it? What if an emotion surprises me and I get stuck? I don't want to cry at work. So we don't touch it. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 4 says this. Love is patient and love is kind. It is not jealous. It is not boastful. It is not proud. Verse 5 says it is not rude. It does not demand its own way. It is not irritable. And it keeps no record of being wronged. 
That is the opposite of what we tend to do when we take that emotion and we throw it and hurl that emotion at somebody. So instead of throwing our emotions at somebody, we need to learn to hang out with, to stay with that emotion and learn how to, this is for Harley too, how to practice calm. Acts 17.24 says this, He is the God who made the world and everything in it. Since He is the Lord of heaven and earth, He doesn't live in man-made temples. Verse 25, And human hands can't serve His needs, for He has no needs. He Himself, He gives life and breath even to everything. And he satisfies every need. You know what it says in verse 28? For in him we live. In him we move. In him we exist. When my, when your emotions cause you shame and cause you anxiety, Calm is the balm. It is in Him. He is the one who gives us life. And He is the one who gives us breath. And I quite literally want to tell you something. There is life and calm in breath. As I watched my mother struggle to get air in her lungs... There was anxiety and fear in her eyes when she was trying to breathe before she died. There is calm in this very breath that God has given us. And I want to teach you how to pause right now. Let's just call it four square. Side one of the four squares is to breathe in Jesus. And I'm literally, I'm speaking literally here of breathing in four seconds of a deep breath in. And as you're breathing in, saying, Jesus, I need you. Four seconds in of air. I know this sounds new agey and weird. Hey, listen, Jesus gave you your breath. Breathe in four seconds of air. Hold that four seconds. Jesus, I need you. And then for four seconds, the third side of that square, breathe out for four seconds. That breath, that very breath that Jesus just gave you, now breathe it out for that four seconds. And then hold that for four seconds. That closes that box. Four squares of breath. Jesus, I need you. Breathe in. Hold it for four seconds. Jesus, I need you. Now breathe out for four seconds. Hold it for four seconds. That, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, thirty, forty, fifty, six. that's 16 seconds of breathing might just bring you enough calm to have that balm that you need. When you are emotionally hooked. 
It gives you a moment to say, do I need to freak out in this situation? Do I need to get crazy in this situation? It gives you just enough time to say, okay, if I do freak out, if I do even feel like I need to freak out, is that going to help? When you're emotionally hooked, it gives you just enough time. Now, you you know what? That's not what we usually do, though. You know what naturally happens? Here's what naturally happens. What naturally happens is most often we don't do that, and most often we naturally just kind of fill in all the gaps of information in our mind because our brain rewards us for having a nice closed circuit of our thinking. We may not have all the information, but if we can fill in the gaps, your brain rewards you. Go back to another series, can't remember what it was, I think, but your brain rewards you and gives you a shot of dopamine and says, good job, you filled in all the gaps, you did it. You have a complete thinking circuit. Here's the beginning, here's the end. Here are the good guys, here are the bad guys. It's black and white, you filled it in, you filled in all the missing information gaps, you just filled it in yourself. Great job. That's what naturally happens. We make up stories to fill in the gaps, and our brain rewards us. Great job. Here's a shot of dopamine. Ooh, that feels good to have completed that information. So now I know everything that happened, everything that went on. I understand all the facts around it and everything that happened. We fill in all those gaps. In the absence of data, we always, naturally, we always make up stories to fill in the gaps. And a badly made-up story will always cost you more time. It will cost you more energy, more engagement, more time in the arena. It will possibly even cost you more money because you made up a bad story. And your brain rewarded you for that story because it likes a clear good guy and a clear bad guy. And it, and it doesn't matter if it's accurate. You've closed the gap. You've filled in all the gaps. And we are compelled to take those incomplete stories filled with just a few truths and we filled in the rest of the gaps with what we've imagined We are compelled to take that incomplete story and just run with it. And do you know what rules that process of filling in the information gaps? Fear. Worst case scenarios. They fill that story. In the story that we're telling ourselves, That we're saying, here's how this all worked. Here's how this all played out. And the story that we're telling ourselves, we are filling in, by nature, all of the missing pieces. So we have a complete story now. And brave people inside of this relationship will come into this arena and they will ask, begin asking questions so that they can discover What is the story that they have been telling themselves? What is the story that they have in their minds already? 
and they look into that story so that they can begin to fill the gaps with actual truth. We will spend a reasonable amount of time in that relationship attending to that person's feelings and emotions. Or we will waste, squander an enormous amount of time dealing with bad behavior. And when we have created a story, we believe that that story is real. We believe that that story is true. But it is just fear combined with little pieces of information. And it gets complete control of my mind. Which is then a close step to complete control of my behavior and complete control of my decisions based upon a story that only has some truth. And we filled in the gaps with fear and worst case scenarios. This may be the most important thing that we have taught you this entire series. Learning how to get up when we have fallen, when we are failing. And the ego, my ego, your ego is the enemy of everything that happens in the arena. Because the ego is the part of us that knows everything. The ego is the part that knows and fills in all of those gaps. Hey, I know what's going on. I know the whole context. I know everything that's happening. I understand. I know. And that's the ego. And it races to the finish line with the worst case scenario. It doesn't want to talk about it. It doesn't want to get into the arena. It just wants to preach. It just wants to point. It does not want to know what to do. But curiosity that doesn't know, curiosity says it is okay to not have all the answers. It is okay to say, you know what? Let's go find the truth instead of filling in all of these gaps with our fear and what we think may have happened, what we think is the situation. Let us fill in all. Instead of that, no, 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 let's go get the truth. And here's what that passage that we have been studying says in verse 6. Love, it does not rejoice about injustice, but it rejoices whenever what? Truth wins out. And it goes on to say this. Love never gives up. Love never loses faith. It is always hopeful. It endures through every circumstance. And here's the tool that we want to give you. Here's this. We want to identify in the arena, identify and then share the story that I have made up. Identify it for myself and share the story I have made up. The story that I have been telling myself that I say, I know everything that happened. Here's what all went on. This is it. I need to learn about, in the arena, learn about the story that I've been telling myself. And learning about that has the power to transform how you love, how you live, how you parent, how you are in relationship. Here's the question that we need, or the statement that we need to say inside that arena. Listen, 
you can say, listen, listen. The story I've been telling myself right now is this. The story I've been telling myself is this. I am a worthless failure, and you know it. The story I've been telling myself is I am worthless. The story I've been telling myself is I have no value. The story I've been telling myself is this. You don't care about me. That's the story I've been telling myself. You might need to say, what I have been making up in my head, what I have been thinking about and making up in my head right now is this. You don't want to help me. That's what I've been making up in my head and telling myself, that you don't want to help me. What I have been making up in my head right now is that you are unhappy with me and you're looking somewhere else for someone to make you happy. That's what I've been telling myself in my head over and over and over again. It's the story you're telling yourself. And we all do it. We all make ourselves the center of something that may not even have anything to do with us. And we're trying to take that story that we've been telling ourselves to capture it and to use that story to say, hey, hey, listen, I saw the way you looked. I saw the way you looked at me or looked at them across the room. I saw the way you looked. I saw the way you reacted. I saw this happen. And then I began telling myself, oh, oh they're, they're, they're looking. They don't love me. They're looking. They don't want to be around me. They want to be over there. That's what I'm telling myself. I, I saw this, and now I've told myself this. You might even develop the habit of very quickly just writing it down in one sentence. Here's what I just told myself. So you can be clear. It doesn't have to be in detail. You could just write it. You can even text it to yourself very quickly. So that when you're in the arena, you can say, here's what I told myself. This is what I said to myself. Imagine the power that you would have if you could recognize the story that you're telling yourself. Take a few minutes to think about that story and then check in with the other person to see, is the story I'm telling myself, is it true? Or have I just filled in all the gaps with fear? And no matter their response, it's a win. If they say, no, 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 listen, I am just exhausted. I'm tired. What you saw was me being exhausted. I'm just tired. And it gives you then a chance. If that was you who were tired, it gives you a chance to respond to that person with empathy, to turn up that dial toward connection and empathy. Or maybe they say, yeah, I'm mad. Yes, I am mad. Then maybe it gives you a chance to say, okay, and let, let's talk about it. Let's get down into the arena, not to fight each other. Let's get into the arena to fight sh together, to fight shame. And let's turn up the empathy and connect. Let's see if we can make this right. Here's what we're asking you to do this week, very simply. It's very difficult. It's very simple to say. Inside the arena... Let's learn to fact-check our stories that we've been telling ourselves. 
we have been really hurting ourselves with shame when we fill in the blanks ourselves. Let's fact check what we have been telling ourselves. Because when we, when we own our story and we own our emotions involved in that story and we own the fact that we do fill in the blanks, then when we get involved in that way, then we have the opportunity to take control of our story and to then say, here's how the story is going to end. We get to take control. And if we don't own it, it is going to own us. It is going to drive our thinking. It is going to drive our behavior. It will completely own us. Own the story. And we get to rewrite the ending. Deny the story. And it owns us. And in doing so, we have to make a choice. To have courage inside the arena. Instead of comfort. Choose the adventure of not knowing everything. And get curious about what is lying beneath the surface for that person. Let's pray. Jesus, help us discover the truth. Help us identify the stories that we are telling ourselves. God, our imaginations have been filled with information gaps. And we created a story that we now believe is truth. But it's not true. May we not rejoice about the injustice, God. May we rejoice whenever truth wins out. And love never fails. It never gives up. It never loses faith. It is always helpful and hopeful. And it, and it endures through every circumstance. And Jesus, all of my hope is in you. Thank God that yesterday's problems can be gone. All my sins are forgiven. And I have been washed by the blood. Give us the wisdom to know what to do with what we have learned today. Give us the courage to do it, Jesus. Amen.